0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to How to College, our podcast where we get together over some coffee and have some real conversations about what it's like to be a first generation college student and what that means before during and after college. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about what it means to be a first-gen, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges that we've experienced before. My name is Joseph. I'm one of the podcast hosts, and I am the first in my family to go to college. Today, we'll actually be diving into the topic of imposter syndrome as a part of a three-part series where we'll get the perspectives of some first-gen friends and their experiences before, during, and after college. To preface, this is one of those topics that a lot of people in general struggle with throughout their lives and that first generation students in particular have on their plate in addition to the many other things that we plan on discussing in the future. College can be stressful, being the first to do anything can be stressful, having both of those happen at the same time while others around you seem to get by effortlessly or have resources to pull on that have prepared them for this can be extra intimidating and it can make you feel like you're out of place. If you feel different from those around you and less prepared for knowing what college actually is, it can make you feel like you need to fake it until you make it. As time goes on, it can feel a bit like a charade or like you're trying to be somebody that you're not, and it starts to weigh down. This is imposter syndrome. A lot of times we feel it without really putting a name to it. It can make you doubt yourself, your achievements, and lead you into some thought patterns that can start small, but can then spiral and negatively impact your life, health, academics, and relationships with those around you. This series is an opportunity to explore this together. Today, as the last installment in this series on imposter syndrome, we'll be talking with Herman Benitez, an old friend from Rice working as a mechanical engineer in the petrochemical space in Houston. With that being said, let's dive in. I'm just gonna ask you to introduce yourself in a couple sentences.
1: My name's Hermán Benitez. I'm originally from Houston, Texas. I was born and raised here in Houston. Both of my parents are from El Salvador. And if you talk to most Salvadoran Americans my age, you'll find a similar story that some parents were fleeing from the Salvadoran Civil War, and that's the case with my family. I grew up in the southwest side of Houston, and it was my middle school teacher who encouraged me to apply to magnet schools within HISD. Growing up, I wanted to become an immigration attorney, but I ended up going to a high school for health professions, Vicky High School for Health Professions near the medical center. My middle school teacher felt that if I excelled there, I would have a good opportunity to get into college and get scholarships. So he was the first person who instilled that belief that you can go to college. You just got to work really hard. I know Joseph because we went to the same university. We went to Rice University. I graduated with a bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering. But before I got there, I switched majors a couple of times. I started as a political science major. Quickly, I found out that I love math more than reading and writing. So I did civil engineering. And later, I found out that I like to see how things function instead of designing bridges and water systems. So I ended up deciding for mechanical engineering as my major. I am a first-generation student, but I'm very grateful to both my parents. Most of us can relate. No matter where they come from in the world, you can appreciate that your parents sacrifice leaving their country to give you a better opportunity. That's the same case for me and my parents, and I just wanted to repay them for doing that for my sister and I. My
0: mm-hmm. dad
1: always told me that you don't have to go to college to be successful, but most successful people do go to college. <laughs> I graduated in 2016. I'm a mechanical engineer for a petrochemical company called Lando Bissell. We make plastic and we send it to different companies throughout the world. Right now, one of our products is used to make masks and to make COVID testing units. My job is in charge of keeping the unit running. If a pump goes down, figure out why and fix it. So yeah, that's just a little bit about myself.
0: Interesting. So what has your experience been with imposter syndrome?
1: When I first got there, everybody had Macs in Physics 101, and I had like a 10 inch notebook. They didn't even have a fast processor. I got it because my aunt gave it to me as a present. And when we had to use MATLAB, what five minutes on a normal laptop would take an hour on my little notebook. I guess I felt out of place from the get go, but talking more scholastically i remember feeling like i didn't belong felt like the pace of the class was a little too quick for me so i would have to go home and review my notes review what we read in class when other people just picked it up quick other people just understood it and there were times where i felt and don't ask that question they're going to think you're dumb and i cannot tell you how many times i felt that during undergrad and i regret not asking those questions i would struggle more piece of advice i would give to anyone listening to this is A, don't ever be afraid to ask those questions. B, use your resources that we have in the class, the university. For example, TA office hours. Bring all your dumb questions to the TA office hours. B, the professor itself has office hours, so you can go ask him or her questions about a problem that you're stuck on or a concept that you didn't understand in class. But here's the thing. In order to maximize those office hours, try and struggle with problem yourself and then take it to them. Because if they solve it for you without you struggling, you didn't learn anything. There were times that I felt, don't ask this. This is a dumb question. They're going to think you're dumb. I didn't know I was experiencing the imposter syndrome, but at the end of the day, your university admitted you because you do belong there. You're there for a reason. You worked hard to get there. It wasn't given to you. You earned that opportunity. So please, please remember that it means a lot to us to to graduate. So please, please don't let this imposter syndrome prevent you from uh, fulfilling your potential.
0: That's really solid advice. I would completely agree. Use the resources that you have available. Go to those TA office hours. If you need to ask those dumb questions, ask them there. And I think that I completely agree with you. Like I went to certain classes and I didn't feel like I was adequately prepared compared to like those around me. And a lot of the times I thought that the people around me either were just very smart or that they went to like a really amazing high school and I didn't have that. And so whether or not to ask this question, and I wouldn't even be paying attention a lot of the time. So it was almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy that I had going on in my head. I think it's really good that you point that out because sometimes even whenever you ask a question, you see other people around you and they're like, yeah, I don't get that either. Or like in a TA session, you're able to talk to other people and they're like, yeah, I actually have the same question
1: doubt. That, that's another aspect that I reflect on in my undergraduate career. At first, it might not seem that you have a lot in common with the people surrounding you, but you do. And going to these TA sessions, you find other people who are struggling and together you learn how to solve the problem. And that's where you start making these friendships that are helpful because you might not understand how to solve problems, but your friend at the TA session understood it and y'all teach each other. Y'all work together to understand it. And now it starts clicking. But I was very afraid. Afraid to approach other people as well. And that's my piece of advice to people listening. Don't be forget income, forget race, forget everything. You're focused on the material that you're studying. We don't want to get an A in this class. <laughs> that's why we're here. And ask your other classmates, ask the TA. I promise you, you're gonna have more in common than you think. Just don't be shy to make that approach. I was very shy, and I, I feel like I would have benefited more if I had spoken up earlier and developed study groups that we can help each other and learn from each other together.
0: Being shy affected the way that you went about approaching your imposter syndrome. And in order to, for you to get over the imposter syndrome, you had to focus on the problem at hand, right? Trying to get a good grade in this class. To you personally, as somebody who is shy, like, I mean, myself included, we have to consciously work against that part of ourselves in order to really be able to work towards this other thing that is more important. That's
1: right. The more I think about it, I definitely was experiencing imposter syndrome. And, but at the end of the day, what you have to tell yourself is, I belong here. I got to admit it for a reason. And you can't let those thoughts take over like you said in class. I stopped paying attention and debating. And I did the same thing. Before I knew it, we're moving on to the next section. And I was still back. Should I ask this question? Why don't I know this? I thought my high school was good enough. And then you start planting doubt. And that prohibits you from learning even more. You belong here. Don't let those thoughts take over. Use your resources. Don't be shy. You're there to learn.
0: So thinking about the effects of imposter syndrome, how do you think that imposter syndrome affects how you think about the long term, about your career, about college and the future?
1: Yeah, I personally believe it does affect it significantly. Because of imposter syndrome, I thought I should know how this getting a job, getting internships process should work. I didn't know it was okay to not know. I didn't know it was okay to seek my Counselor or the career center for advice. So I show up first day junior year to my mechanical controls class, and people are talking about I interned with Boeing, I interned with Schlumberger, and in my mind, I didn't intern with anybody. I didn't know I could get internships as a sophomore going into junior year. I just worked and saved money for the summer because even though I was on scholarship, I need spending money for gas food for helping the family back home. And that's when Luz came into play. I asked Luz because she was one grade above me and we were from the same residential college and we had some similarities. Her family is also Salvadorian American, so we could relate a little bit. And she kind of took me under her wing and explained the process of you need internships to be a good candidate when you graduate so you can obtain a a good career on graduation. That was the first time I heard that junior year, first day of class. Thankfully for me, most people would argue that the junior summer transition to senior year is arguably the most important internship, right? Because if you get an internship that summer and you do well, you might get a offer letter from the company. And that was ultimately the case for me, thank goodness. But I didn't seek out career help because I thought I should be able to know how to do that. But in fact, some of my classmates, their dad worked for so and so company who already lined them up for an internship. I wish I had a connection like that, you know? And that was really eye opening for me. And so the after lose opened my eyes, first day of junior year, the All Career Expo takes place in September. We start school early August. And Luz helped me get my first resume together. I went to mock interviews. And thankfully, I was able to get an internship. And once I got my internship, I focused on spreading awareness and helping others get their internships. If you want to pursue the career path, that's a good route to take. Get internships, get experience so you can be a good candidate when you graduate and become attractive to So that was a really eye-opening experience, but that's why I'm forever grateful to upperclassmen Luz, uh, who opened my eyes and took me under her wing, and I returned the favor by spreading the message and helping others obtain those internships, and ultimately, like you said, not just in school, not just get the A, but also help us get a career or help us go to a grad school of our dreams and lead us towards achieving that
0: goal. I think that you made a lot of really interesting points with getting an internship, especially Between sophomore year and junior year, whenever you're potentially only having like a couple classes for your major under your belt at that time, and you really don't think that you know anything about that major yet, what do you really have to offer to a workplace? I think that's really normal in general, and I think that it gets accentuated for first gen students. I found myself scrambling to get an internship during that summer too, and I eventually found one, but I think that I probably could have... Definitely started looking earlier and started looking at some of those other companies. I found one with a local company and I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, I went through a lot of stressful situations to get to that point. I had a great internship and a great experience with that internship, but I didn't think that it lived up to the level of expectations when compared with some of those people who had internships with those big company names. You also made a really good point in that other people a lot of the times have those connections. I worked at a big consultancy in DC and I remember having different interns in our teams and they would kind of get this preferential treatment. And I was always wondering why. And then I realized that it was actually because that person was friends with the grandson of somebody that was really high up in the company. He wasn't even directly related to somebody really high up in the company, but he just had that, that connection that got him that internship especially as a first-gen student, that option might not be open to you. So if you have to ask for help, you have to figure out how this works. For example, the Center for Career Development at your school can help you find different jobs and understand what the process is to get an internship and how to prepare yourself to interview and, and get the job.
1: You have to ask for help and ask for help ahead of time. Don't scramble last minute because it's hard to find an internship. Ask for help ahead of time. And I guarantee you people are willing to help you more if they have months in advance compared to days. I definitely experience imposter syndrome at the Career Expo because as soon as you step in, everybody is in line for the big companies, the high-paying oil and gas for engineers. And I always wonder, am I good enough? Do I belong there? Can I make it there? So I not go to the tent. You know, I would go <laughs> look at other companies towards the back of the expo. But no, you do. Your story is different than everybody else's in line. You have something to offer that they don't. You just got to be able to articulate that and show them. I didn't think about it till now. I was asking myself and I was doubting myself am I good enough? Do I belong in these Fortune 500 companies? But the answer is you do. You just have to be able to articulate what you can bring to table and you have something that's the reason you were at mid just gotta get it out
0: you made a really good point your story is unique your story is different from the other people in line just because your story is different doesn't mean that you don't belong and you worked hard for it and you made it there for a reason recognizing that and shaping it into something that you can articulate the value that you can bring to the table is very important take for example some of the things that we talked about earlier asking those dumb questions during class I've actually noticed that asking those seemingly dumb questions during class helps me learn. It also helps the people around me learn because a lot of the times you're not the only one that's thinking about that question. And I think that that not only happens in the classroom, but that ends up happening in the workplace. And I've seen it so many times where. After a meeting, I've asked somebody else about what somebody was talking about, and they'll say, oh, I actually wasn't sure. And then I'll say, why didn't you ask the question? But then I sit there thinking, why didn't I ask the question? Like I could have prevented some of that happening from later on down the line whenever you have to have another meeting to clarify something that you could have clarified in that meeting itself. And I think that's something that you can build by asking those questions.
1: I can't even think about it like that in the workplace, but that happens all the time. People just sit there not agreeing, and when they come back and ask them, I'm not too sure. Let's go ask.
0: I think that people just want to get through meetings, they want to get through the class. And I think that if you're focused on understanding what's going on underneath, which is the approach that you tend to take whenever you're coming from the outside as a first gen, and you feel like you you don't necessarily belong, you kind of have that mentality of trying to understand what's going on. And as soon as you're able to become comfortable and confident in yourself, you're able to ask those questions and you're able to bring that value to the table, both in class and in the workplace.
1: That is a big key and that's what I'm living right now in my job is when I feel I have that confidence, I will ask that question and not be scared. So I know my material. I know I'm an expert on what I'm supposed to be an expert in. But while I'm not, I'm afraid of asking that question and looking like an imposter in front of that meeting room, in front of that manager. But at the end of the day, it's better to have an answer and make sure that we're all on the same page than everybody scrambling around and asking each other, what are we supposed to be doing? And I guarantee you people would appreciate more that question to make sure everybody's aligned.
0: I completely agree. That silence is dangerous. It's people allowing those things to slip through the cracks that end up coming back to bite you later on as you work through a project. So I think you talked about confidence. What do you think contributed to your confidence?
1: Two things. One, not having tons of experience in the specific. I am in right now Contribute to it the more I work with the equipment the more I get familiar with the information that confidence will start building up the more I start building relationships that confidence will start increasing the other is and I hate to say this but just looking around in the room no one looks like you you're the only Hispanic engineer or little things like that in the back of my mind and just afraid of making that mistake because if I do I might be labeled as oh, dummy or like see this is why we can't hire more Hispanic engineers it's that imposter syndrome in the back of my mind. I want to do a good job so the company would be more open to giving opportunities to the static engineers.
0: Do you think that you use that as fuel?
1: I am a believer that every first-gen kid has something that fuels them, that gives them the drive. And that is definitely a huge motivation factor to me because I want to be able to prove that A, I do belong, I am worthy. And two, that yes, Hispanic engineers can do it too. And if not better, that is definitely without question fuel or a motivation factor for myself.
0: How do you think about minimizing the effect of imposter syndrome?
1: I believe, and I believe a lot of first-gens would agree, and the reason we're here today is just hard work. Seeing the example that our parents set for us and just, okay, we might have not learned this in class, or I didn't learn this in high school, but I have resources. I have YouTube, I have the World Wide Web, and I'm going to spend time outside of the normal office hours and do some research. It stinks, no doubt. It stinks. I'd rather be doing something fun, but at the same time, in order to be successful, we know we have to make sacrifices. And personally, I think the answer to that question is you just got to do the work. Sadly, we might have to do a little bit more work than the average person, but we're not the average person. We're trying to break down barriers. We're trying to open new doors that our family has never seen. So that's going to require some extra work. So that's what I'm planning on doing. Staying an extra hour or two, learning, asking questions, researching, and slowly but surely, the fruit of that labor will be seen. Maybe not immediately, but over time, I have faith that the fruit of the labor is going to boost.
0: I think that even relates to what you were saying before about that level of confidence and being able to ask those questions and to be able to feel confident whenever you're in those meetings. So how do you go about reassuring yourself whenever you feel anxious or out of place? And has that changed over time?
1: It has not changed, but I believe this answer is different for everybody else. But I'll tell you what worked for me. My high school is close in proximity to Rice, and I used to stay after school for tutoring or FAFSA lessons. They had after-school PTA meetings for parents to learn how to fill out the FAFSA. My parents were both working. They couldn't attend, but I attended because I needed to know how to fill these out because eventually I was going to do it. And on the way home, I would take the bus. From the bus stop, I would see three hospitals in the Medical Center Skyliner. So when I was feeling down or really bothered by the imposter syndrome, when I would get out of Fondering Library like at 1 or 2 a.m., I would stand in the middle of the quad and I would look at the same buildings and I would say, you're here, you worked hard, you're almost there. Just take it step by step. You can do this. You can do this because others did it in the past. And I would sit there and reflect about all the sacrifices that we made to get to this point. And I told myself, you can't quit, man. You gotta keep going. I would think back to my middle school teacher who told me to apply, my high school teachers that encouraged me. Think about the sacrifices my parents made. And I would tell myself, you gotta keep going. You can't quit. So the answer to how I control that anxiety is just taking a step back, take a deep breath, and reflect on your journey. Think about how hard you worked to get this opportunity. And you can't let it go. You can't let it go because there's another kid who wished that had this opportunity. You can't let it slip away. That's what helped me control that inside. I stepped back and I fled back on how I got here. Just got to keep moving forward because there's a family that's looking up to us. For me, I wanted to do this for my little cousins looking up at me because I was one of the older cousins in the family and we tend to be a very close family. I wanted to set the example for them that, hey, going to college is not a big deal like they make it seem. This is normal. You can do this. Anybody can do this. It's not like this majestic thing that they make it out to sing because that's what it seemed like to me growing up. It's majestic. I don't know anybody who did it. So this is a fairy tale. But I wanted to show my cousins that, no, you can do this too. This is not something extravagant. This is achievable. This is real. This is possible.
0: I think that you made a lot of really good points. I thought that's really cool that you used to sit there in the quad and look up at the buildings. Because I used to look at those two and be like, okay, I'm almost there. And you just kind of like look up and you see the glowing skyline. And you think about, oh, wow, I'm here right now. You think about where you are and what you've done to get to that point. Because it is really realizing that you've worked really hard to get to where you are and that didn't come easy you've also put in a lot of work that has progressed you over time you've always had challenges that you've had to face and you've had to work hard to meet those challenges and progress past them and i think recognizing that each time that you meet one of those challenges that you've done that before that you've gone through not necessarily the same thing but a parallel and that other people have done it before you makes a big difference And I think that you may also make a really great point with first-generation college students by nature don't really have a lot of role models to look up to specifically for college. And it's very put up on a pedestal. And it's great that we see education in a positive light, but I think that it becomes really dangerous whenever you think of it as something that's out of reach. I think that more people can attend college that don't necessarily think that they can. For example, In my high school, I graduated salutatorian and I didn't even understand it because I was just like, how do I have the second best grades in this class whenever I know that there's a lot of other people around me who are getting better grades and I'm literally asking them for help. I thought that was crazy. And it also becomes like kind of dangerous whenever you start thinking about somebody being smart versus somebody being hardworking because we tend to not see the background work that goes into something. Just because somebody appears smart doesn't mean that they don't work very hard for that. But I think that it's really important to remember that you have to work hard for those achievements. And, you know, like, we can do this. Like, we can go to college, too. We can get those scholarships and make it through. I think it's just more important to see college as something that is immediately achievable.
1: Yeah, you can do it, Joseph, and I did it, so you can too.
0: Whenever you feel imposter syndrome, it's kind of like this voice in the back of your head that's like, do I belong here? Am I good enough for this? How do you prove that voice wrong?
1: still trying to find the answer to this question because essentially I'm going through imposter syndrome at work right now. I'm the one being scared to ask questions in the meeting to not seem dumb. But eventually we have to get over that fear. We have to get over feeling like an imposter or else you're not going to progress or grow or achieve that goal that you have in mind that you set for yourself. If you let that voice get louder and louder, it's going to hinder your progress. And you just can't let it do that. So I'm going to take the advice that I'm giving out to the listeners and do it. Move forward. Don't let this stop. Don't let the fear of striking out prevent you from playing the game. If you do, you're going to regret it later in life and say, what if? What if someone asked the same question you wanted to ask and they get rewarded for it? What if What if you didn't ask this question and it came up on the exam? Enough with the what if. You've got to do it. Take that deep breath and jump. It's not comfortable. But my CEO always says, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. You need to be uncomfortable to continue to grow. And the more I think about it, the more it resonates. So prove the voice wrong by ignoring it and keep moving forward and ignoring that imposter syndrome. You belong there. That's what we all have to accept. We're here for a reason. They hired us, they admitted us for a reason. We have talent. You just gotta get it out of us and show the world.
0: I think you make a really good point on that. It doesn't go away at a certain point. It's not like once you achieve this short term thing, once you get through this test, once you graduate college, once you get this job It doesn't go away. You just constantly have to reassure yourself that you are good enough. You made it to where you are and other things are going to come up that are going to make you question that and you're going to deal with those the same way that you did before or hopefully better, right? You're going to work hard and you're going to put in that legwork to be able to achieve what you're going to achieve. I think it's really good that we have these conversations because sometimes I forget that. I still get imposter syndrome at work too. And I don't necessarily recognize it for what it is. And I think that it's important to reflect on that and then reflect on your past so that way you can move forward.
1: Just gotta keep moving forward, even if it's one step, but keep moving
0: forward. So do you have any advice for the audience on today's topic?
1: Just reassuring yourself that you do belong there. You're not an imposter and don't be afraid. Use your resources that are available to you. That's one thing I didn't do at Rice. They have so many resources and I didn't using them and I regret it. And don't ever doubt, do I belong here? Yes, you do. You got to admit it for a reason. Be open-minded. Don't be shy. Make friends. You know, Looking back at my undergrad, that's what I would say to myself starting over. You're there because you want to graduate and you're not going to let this little fear stop. You can't. You can't let it. You belong here. You're not an imposter and you just have to accept that and just work hard. That's the advice I would
0: give. I completely agree with you. And to add on top of that, and this is like something I talk about with some of my other friends too, with these feelings of anxiety and these feelings of not belonging, these are all internal and within your head. I think the point that it becomes negative is whenever it impacts how you're able to concentrate, how you're able to move forward and how you're able to perceive others as somebody to partner with and collaborate with or as somebody that you want to stay away from. I think that it's important to recognize that all these things are in your head, right? You're not necessarily in control of everything that happens, including those like random thoughts of doubt. I think it's important to recognize that and work towards consciously steering your thoughts in that positive direction of, yes, I do belong here. I do deserve this. Part of it, it comes down to that whole fear of failure thing. I think that there's a really nice movement out there that's basically trying to normalize failure. There's a professor out there who has done a lot of really great research and won a lot of rewards. And I think he has a failure resume. And it's a list of all the programs that he did not get into the fellowships that he didn't get the the awards that he didn't get and the projects that he did that failed. And it's longer than his like normal resume. And it kind of goes back to what you said before, if you're comfortable, you're not growing, you have to be okay with failure at a certain point. And I think that that's something that people need to build over time. Nobody's really that comfortable with failure. And if you are props to you, I think that for the most part, it's something that is rare enough, because we want to avoid it, right? We don't want to fail. But I think that if you're failing, hopefully you're failing forward, you're learning something from that failure, and you're improving making adjustments and working forward.
1: And that's the key. We as first gens have high expectations of ourselves for the most part. And we don't want to fail. But you hit it on the nail. You have to learn from this failure. Let it be for a reason. Don't just fail and say, "Okay, no big deal. No, you have to understand what did I do wrong? What am I going to do next time to prevent this from happening again? That's the big key. That's how we learn in life. And it's so hard for us to accept failure. But my sister and I talk about this all the time. I remember my first test at Rice General Chemistry, I got, I think it was a 62 out of 140. And I went home crying to my dorm. I mean, I thought I understood the material very well, but apparently not. And it it was one of my first times dealing with failure. And it opens your eyes. That's part of the growing. You know, you have to experience that downfall. Because most first gens, we've gone through adversity before. That's what makes us unique. We've experienced some sort of adversity that others haven't. So we dust ourselves and we keep going forward. We got to get up. That's what I did. But I remember I got that 63 out of 140. I went home crying, dude. I was like, I can't believe it. This is crazy. But the other thing you hit on, and I understand why, because when you listen to this podcast, you're going to hear me say countless times, you belong there. You belong there. And that's because I told that to myself when I was an undergrad. But I, I remember why. Because I had even stepped foot into rice, Joseph. And I I had already been planted the imposter syndrome within me in high school. I went to a competitive high school and I was not valedictorian. I had a above four GPA, barely sat outside the top 10 of my class. It was like 200 students. And I got into Rice. And I kid you not, people ranked higher than me did not get into Rice. And they were saying that I did because of affirmative action. So I hadn't even stepped foot into college, and I already experienced imposter syndrome from day one. Did I only get in here because I'm Hispanic? No. What they didn't see was the nights that I stayed up late, the nights that my dad woke me up early in the morning so I can get up and study, how I did my homework in the bus, leaving work and reviewing for the quiz that day the morning of. That's what they don't see. So not even stepping foot into college and I already had doubts if I belong. So that's why I kept reiterating throughout the interview. And I reiterated again, you do belong there. They accepted you for a reason. Don't question that. Keep moving forward. Keep working hard. You can do this. Joseph and I did it. Thousands of others did it. You can too.
0: I don't know if that was something you trained within yourself and then you forgot the origins of that training. And then as we were talking, you just remembered that was it. That was why.
1: That was a big reason why, for sure.
0: I feel the same thing. I didn't go to a great high school. I was still top of my class, but at the same time, going to Rice, I think I talked to other people, and I think they would talk about affirmative action, and I was like, maybe I don't belong here, right? It's that seed of doubt that gets implanted that you don't want to become a self-fulfilling prophecy, and you want to mitigate the effects of that moving forward, but you have to do that very consciously. You have to have the confidence to shrug that off, which not a lot of people have in general, and you dealing with so many other things as a first gen, it makes it that much harder.
1: I saw when the Black Lives Matter movement, and they did a, a bingo card, that if you sent money back home, mark this X, or if you had your parents' credit card in college, you know, so we go through other factors outside the classroom that makes it a little harder for us to graduate, but you just got to keep moving forward because at the same time, if I didn't go to this magnet school, I was going to go to my own school, Charlestown High School. And say I did go to Charlestown High School, whatever school I would have gone to, I wanted to do a good job because I want the recruiters to keep coming back to Charlestown and getting those students. So you got to think about it. It's not just yes, yourself doing this for you, your family, your community. You want to show them that, yes, we do belong here. If gave us the opportunity, we're going to take advantage And we've gone through so much adversity as first gens that this can't stop us. This imposter syndrome can't be it, man. Can't let it beat us. we got to keep pushing forward, just like our parents did when they first got here. Because some of our parents didn't even speak the language, and they managed to get a job and do a good living for us, for our family members, you know? That's harder than what we're having to go through, you know? (laughs) In my opinion, personally. All we have to do is do problem sets and go to class, you know? Like, come on, that's nothing compared to what they did for us. That's what I believe we got to keep pushing forward. We belong here.
0: I think you make a really good point in terms of the adversity and that bingo card, right?
1: I think it was a bingo card that was created so that other people could see what being black at rice felt like. So like if, if you had to send money back home, you mark this X. Ultimately, what it ended up being was that we weren't as privileged. We only we only had a couple dollars compared to everybody else who had like a whole bingo card filled out. So it reiterates the struggles that some of our classmates will never understand or, or won't see. I help out my parents still, you know, like during Rice, I have a job and I help with some bills at the house, you know, that's stuff that people won't see. Like my laptop, like I told you about, people won't know that my laptop is crappy, right? And it took me an hour to do a five minute MATLAB program. So it's just those little adversities outside the classroom that we deal with as well. And eventually we get through because that's what we do as first chance, right? We won't let little stuff like that stop us.
0: It's kind of like those little adversities end up being things that like make everything harder, right? They make normal things harder and not everybody has those. So whenever you think about affirmative action, it's recognizing those adversities and recognizing that. It's kind of like we're all playing the same game, but not everybody's on the same difficulty level. And so those differences in performance, they might not be the most accurate reflection of performance until you look at that difficulty level that everybody's facing whenever you look at those adversity levels.
1: Yeah, and and this is not even for first gens. A lot of people did this, but just the difference between going to buy the book new at the bookstore or buying it from an upperclassman, right? It's little things like that because you're trying to save every amount of penny you can So you can afford all your textbooks for that semester. (laughs) It's little stuff like that that people don't think about, right?
0: it's the little things and the little things definitely add up. Like you carry around a bunch of pebbles and eventually it's going to be like carrying around like a big old rock. It's going to make everything a little bit harder. I thought it was really interesting because we talked about adversity and then we talked about how that makes everybody a little bit more resilient. And I think there's an entire book about this called Grit. I think it's Angela Duckworth, but it's basically about people who have grit they've built that up over time over facing adversity and in the long run building that grit ends up making them more capable and successful a key part of it would be having that confidence in recognizing that you built up this grit and being able to move forward with it
1: one thing i want to reiterate to the audience as well we're nothing special we're just normal kids who took care of business that's the way i look at it people will try and say oh you overcame so much No. We just took care of business and we earned this opportunity. Once you've earned that opportunity, don't let it slip away. Fulfill it. You earned it. You have the ability to succeed. To change your family's legacy. Don't let nothing get in the way. Not even imposter syndrome.
0: Anything else that you would like the audience to know?
1: Work hard. There's a lot of resources out there who want to help the first-gen community. There's a lot of scholarships out there that people don't apply for because they don't look for them. Ask your counselor in high school. Ask your career ex in college for help. The sooner you do it, the more happy they'll be to help you. Look for those resources. Ask people how they got to where they were or where they're at now. Don't be afraid to ask the question people usually like talking about themselves. So if anything, you'll be able to network and surround yourself with people who are thinking higher, that have more ambitious goals, because eventually you'll find yourself having them as well. So hang out with that kid that gets A's in the class. Hang out with that kid that knows that problem set real quick, and you'll see yourself being one of those before you know it. But utilize your resources. Don't be afraid to ask questions, and you can do this. Many of us have done it. You can do it too. Humble and hungry. Be humble and be hungry at the same time.
0: I think that's a good short line. Humble and hungry. I like that. Lastly, are you open to being contacted by our audience?
1: I am. And I just want to remind the audience, I'm nothing special. I'm just like you. But yes, I'm happy to
0: answer questions. I mean, I totally agree. A lot of times I'll talk to certain people and they'll put me up on a pedestal too. And I'm like, I got lucky too. It's just kind of right place, right time. I worked really hard for it. But at the same time, there was a lot of things that went right. You need to kind of normalize a lot of things for fresh gens, like normalizing that failure, normalizing the imposter syndrome, normalizing that hard work and normalizing that college is achievable and that you belong there. Those are all important things to normalize, but also normalizing the achievements that you've had and, and recognizing that you got to stay humble and hungry, like you said,
1: other thing that helped me in college was I'm a religious person myself, so part of the humble part was my faith and being able to partake in a faithful group at Rice, help control that anxiety, help lower that voice in the back of my head. So I'm not saying religion could work for you, but personally it did for me, to just find that sense of community or those friendships, those relationships, or that activity that can help you fight that imposter sin. For me, it was my faith, and the reason I'm grateful is because I recognize that I've been very blessed because you talked about things going the right way. I work hard, but ultimately God granted me the opportunity. So I'm just, I'm very grateful. So the advice would be find that niche or find that community, that, that activity that helps you diminish that voice of imposter syndrome.
0: That's really important. You have to find a sense of community. And I think that that's going to help you with anything, not even just imposter syndrome, just kind of getting through life. College is not just academics. You're still living, ideally, a holistic life through college. And part of that is finding that sense of home, that sense of community.
1: We were blessed. You and I were both blessed that we stayed home. What about those kids that come from out of state and can't go home like we can on a weekend if we wanted it. That sense of community or home comfort is even more important for them. And that would be the case for a lot of our first gens. And that's another conversation for another day. How do you convince your parents to let you go to an out-of-state college and, and make them feel like they belong? That we'll get through this together feeling.
0: I'm glad that we got you on the show. Thank you so much for being a part of this and being a guest and being willing to have these conversations with us and willing to share your story.
1: I just wanted to say thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be part of the podcast. Growing up, I didn't have a specific role model that I can look up to and say he, she did college. So I'm just going to ask them for advice. I hope that my story and your story can help be that support system for someone out there who's going through the steps that we took. Hopefully we can inspire the next generation, you know, to not feel alone and that imposter syndrome is normal and that we did it so you can too.
0: Well, that's it for today. Herman's experience of imposter syndrome started in high school and still exists to this day. Even as a mechanical engineer working for one of the biggest companies in the world, his experience has led him to know the importance of asking for help early, working hard to bridge any gaps, and knowing your own value of what you bring to the table. This is something that we all need to remember every once in a while. Thanks again to our speaker for their time and sharing their stories, and thank you for listening in. Follow us on social media and share with us your experience or inexperience with imposter syndrome. You can find us at howtocollegefirstgen.org or at howtocollegefirstgen for Instagram and Facebook and HTC first gen on twitter let us know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear from us in the future if you'd like to get in contact with one of our guests be a guest or have some feedback we'd love to hear from you remember you are not alone in this journey and thanks for listening until next time